The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 164 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all opinions expressed in the show are my own, not that of my present or past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I've privileged to as a result of my current employment. And I'll never knowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during the show should be construed as legal or financial advice. Last week, we had Jeremy Kelly, chief scientist of Exodus Intelligence, sat down with George to talk about the solar winds breach, what it means to the cybersecurity industry, and why it was not detected for over nine months. Kelly breaks down the vulnerability dark market, how organizations and are managing newly discovered vulnerabilities and his opinions on important questions like who's in charge of mitigating this vulnerability throughout the government and what are the consequences going to be for Russia, if any at all. All this and much, much more in episode number 163 of Task Force 7 Radio. Don't sweat it if you missed it, folks. You can find us everywhere on playback. That's Is the Solar Winds Breach a Game Changer on last week's episode. That's episode number 163 of Task Force 7 Radio. So we have another great guest for you tonight. We have the Chief Customer Officer of Response Software, newly acquired by FireEye, Mr. Chris Triolo. Chris Triolo's security experience includes building world-class professional services organizations as a VP of Professional Services at Forescout, Global VP of Professional Services and Support for HP Software Enterprise Products, Security Products. Chris's depth in security operations and leadership includes a long tenure at Northrop Grumman Task, supporting various Department of Defense and government customers, including Air Force Space Command, Space Warfare Center, United States Space Command, Computer Network and Attack Defense, Air Force Information War Center, and others. Chris has been featured in Info Security, Security Magazine, Dark Reading, and Security Boulevard. It's my pleasure to bring on to the show the Chief Customer Officer of Response Software, recently acquired by FireEye, Mr. Chris Triolo. Chris, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio, buddy. All right. Hey, thanks for having me, Andy. Man, congratulations on the recent acquisition from FireEye. I mean, that's phenomenal news for you guys. Uh, can't wait to hear. Uh, give me a favor. Tell us a little bit about how that came about. And then, you know, how, what does that mean for your customers going forward? Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Andy. Uh, definitely big news for us, right? We're a four to five-year-old startup. Um, you know, been working on this problem in security operations for years, you know, 20 years. Um, we've been investing um, our time and energy in trying to help organizations build security operation centers and staff the people, right, to, to uh, uh, you know, to run them, the analysts. And it's a tough job, right? It's been really tough on our industry trying to find these people and not burn them out and, yeah. Um, you know, get the expertise we needed uh, to, you know, find, find the bad guys, right? Um, so with Respond Software, um, what we tried to do was to build a virtual analyst um, or essentially a tool to help uh, SOC analysts to uh, automate, you know, some of these processes. We could talk, you know, more about that today. But um, in general, when um, FireEye Mandy, it looked to uh, bring us in. We felt it was a really good fit. They've got some of the most, uh, the best intelligence in the world. So how do you capture that intelligence and put that into a product that allows us to, um, you know, be more effective and to automate more of that initial triage um, when security events are coming into a SOC? And we just saw that it was a, it was a great fit. So we're really happy about that, we think our customers should be happy as well because you know they should expect to see uh, more improved models, more improved logic uh, inside our product. Yeah, man, that's uh, you know you touched on something very interesting, right? The 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 challenge of building socks. I built you know I built some you know in my in my career, and it's you know the the talent piece is always the the interesting part of that and getting the right dynamic together so everyone's on the same page. Um, 
you know, the automation pieces, you know, what are you seeing or have been the biggest benefits uh, through automation? Yeah, you know, um, the way I think about it really is, you know, if time is money, then today's model for running SOC is equivalent to setting a pile of cash on fire, right? <laughs> you know, we're spending all this time monitoring security alerts. And really what we should be doing is conducting investigations, right? We don't want to have analysts sitting in front of consoles looking at alerts all day. It's just not an effective use of their time. These alerts are just filled with false positives. You know, there's all kinds of statistics you'll see about the rate of false positives, um, but it's somewhere in the 90% range, right? So, you know, we're having people, you know, essentially waste time looking at this all day. So how, how do we improve, right? We need software that can do this for us or do it better, right? We need tools that essentially are better at finding the relationships in the data um, that we're collecting that would indicate a compromise or sus suspicious behavior. You know, we have the logs, right? We have the data, it's all there. The question is which pieces of data, right? What's in that data or the log that would indicate a problem that's worthy of an investigation? Um, you know, our tools today, they just don't do a good enough job in this area. Yeah, you think about SIM, right? SIM has been around for 20 years, right? I got, you know, my start building socks with the ArcSight product back in the day, which was, you know, the number one SIM at that time. And SIM is, is really great at log collection, log management, which we all need to do. But layering the rules, uh, the rule logic on top of these security alerts to try to bubble up the important events, you know, it just... It was supposed to be great, but it never really quite got there. We still inundated our socks with lots of, you know, rule fires or correlated uh, alerts that still gave the stock, you know, too much work to do, right? So still we need more automation, right, in, in this area. And okay, we may be collecting all the right, the right data, but if you had a security analyst and they had enough time you know, looking through this data, what relationships would they find and that would allow them to identify something as, as being, you know, true, something that needs to be investigated. And that's what the, you know, this automation is really about. And there's a new sort of generation of tools coming out, uh, XDR, extended detection and response tools that are looking to improve that logic, right? That uh, are able to stitch together the data in a way that an analyst would think about it, but let's automate it, right? So analysts would just receive the output of these tools. And now they're really just doing the investigation part instead of, you know, kind of this mind numbing job of scrolling through alerts, right? Like, let's make them investigators, not security guards. Yeah, you know, that's one of the biggest problems I think we have in the SOC today. Yeah, I mean, I think that, and it's such a mindset, right? I mean, I used to tell the folks in the SOC, like, you want to come into work every day and like, have someone else dictate what you're looking looking at like you're you're a creative you know investigator like go play the role of the detective and go find the things that you think are abnormal right like don't don't be feel like you got to sit within this box you know like well unless it goes ding i'm not going to look at it right like yeah, yeah. And that's that's the harsh reality right because like we, we get sold that you know, hey, you know, when we, when we would train new SOC level one analysts, we're like, yeah, this is going to be great. You guys are going to, you know, be on the front lines of cybersecurity. And at the end of the day, right, you know, they become disillusioned or burnt out because what we're really doing is putting them in front of consoles and having them just look at, you know, endless amounts of alerts. And it wasn't at all what we told them it was going to be. Generally, what they'll want to do is get out of that role, right? That's, that's what happens. And you know, they build some skills and then they say, okay, enough of this. Um, I, let me go to the advanced stuff where I really can be the investigator uh, instead of the, you know, the guy who's, who's got to be glued to this console all day. Um, and then, you know, this, this starts to create that vicious cycle inside the sock because every time you onboard train a bunch of new analysts, 
you know, maybe you've got two years with them before they're ready to move on and exit the role. And now you have to figure out how to backfill them. And that's, this is one of the big pain points in our industry. Yeah, man. So let me, let me ask you, because Fire is, you know, prior to your, you know, the, the respond acquisition, like they acquired Veriden, um, which I think, you know, tackles some, some interesting challenges. You know, how do you see respond kind of fitting into the FireEye ecosystem? And where, where do you think that is all going to kind of come together? Yeah, so I, I think that the, you know, sort of to, 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 uh, to go up a level, our industry is changing in terms of, of the tools and how we, we think about them. Uh, and obviously, you know, SaaS uh, tools are becoming uh, more and more prevalent and more important, right? And the reason this is, is because, uh, and this is like one of those, those things, again, it's the ugly truth of the SOC that, you know, we don't talk too much about, but you see when you start talking to people who, you know, do this for a living, security uh, tools or, you know, the engineering required to deploy these tools, to, uh, you know, learn how to uh, operate them, to make use out of them. There's, you know, there's a huge learning curve there and a lot of maintenance, a lot of, you know, sort of ongoing operational work that consumes our time, that consumes our SOC team's time. The amount of money and energy spent on security engineering is just, you know, it's off the charts. And so anytime someone wants to introduce a new tool to the SOC, it's like, okay, that's great, right? But who is going to maintain this thing, right? How are we going to be able to, um, you know, get the value out of this with the employees we have? Do I need to hire more employees, right? How, how am I going to manage this, right? So what, what's happened, I think, is, you know, these SaaS tools have really become more of a strategy for SOCs or, you know, security organizations because it allows you to offload some of the aspects, right, of, of maintaining the tools. So, yeah. you know, like you don't have to deploy them anymore, right? The, 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 the vendor has it in, in the cloud for you. Like you don't have to maintain that infrastructure. All you have to do is get trained and the tools are getting even simpler and simpler to use. And so the way this relates to the company, you know, to FireEye Mandiant, as I, you know, was sort of suggesting earlier is that Mandiant has some of the best intelligence in the world, but if it's only consumable in sort of a services-based approach, there's a limit to that, right? Yep. But if you can build that or, you know, um, put that inside of SaaS software, then what that allows you to do is to get this intelligence out everywhere, right? To anybody who's got these products in, a, in an automated kind of fashion. So I think that's where it, it, it really comes together, where when you think about the strategy at FireEye Mandiant, it's to be able to take that intelligence to really get it into products that make people's jobs uh, simpler, easier, you know, saves money and all of that, um, but it brings it to bear for a, you know, the, the broader InfoSec community. Yeah, really cool. So before we go on to a break, man, I, I do want to ask you, you've got a fun title, right? Chief Customer Officer. <laughs> what, what exactly does that mean? Yeah, great. Name? Great question. Um, so we used to be referred to as, as uh, you know, VP of Professional Services, right? Like the customer arm of organizations, you know, vendors like us, security vendors in particular, was really a professional services or consulting uh, type group. Um, and as I was talking about these SaaS products, right, the, the industry is, has, is evolving to adopting and accepting SaaS as a, a good go forward approach. But the way that people consume SaaS products is on a subscription based uh, you know, plan, right? Where it'd be an annual subscription and if you know, they wanna continue, they would say, okay, I'm gonna renew and buy you for another year. This is a lot different, right, than how it used to be. It used to be perpetual software license where you'd buy three or five year uh, piece of software. And the internal vendor teams, they wouldn't have to worry about you too much, right? They wanna make sure you're successful with the product. 
Um, but renewals were three or five years down the road, not like a burning concern for you today. In the SaaS company, if the renewal is a year away, right, you got to move quick. So you have to have an organization that is geared towards helping customers deploy quickly, get that first value quickly, continue to adopt and expand the usage of that product during that year. And then, you know, look very closely at those indicators that can, you know, tell you if a customer's health is there, are they using the product? Are they logging in? Are more and more people uh, starting to get accounts? Uh, Are they attending your meetings, right? Are they giving you good feedback? Are they opening lots of support tickets? These are the kinds of things you would measure to see if a customer is healthy or not. And then if not, you know, you want to have a proactive uh, approach to that. You can't wait. You got to go and, you know, hey, you bought this product for a reason. If you're not getting the value, let's figure out how. And that's what the customer org is all about. Yeah, I love it, man. Very cool. All right, folks, we got to transition to a commercial break. So, hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and even Instagram by searching at TF7 Radio. And you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For any inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's with the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause for some quick messages from our sponsors, then we'll be right back with Chief Customer Officer of Response Software, Mr. Chris Triolo. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. 
Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with Chief Customer Officer of Response Software, newly acquired from FireEye, Mr. Chris Triolo. All right, Chris. Look, man, SolarWinds breach is top of mind for everybody. I got to tell you, I think Kevin is doing a phenomenal job in response to this incident. Um, but, you know, look, there's some very active nation state actors right now. And I'd love to get your take on, like, what's the new mandate for security operations teams going forward? Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, I, I don't think a lot has actually changed from the threat that we've been facing for many years, right? It's just when incidents like this happen, it, it, it comes back to the forefront and, you know, people are, are talking about it again. And, you know, I realize that, you know, this, this one perhaps is, is very significant, uh, especially compared to maybe, you know, sort of others in the past. But SOC teams uh, that have been around, right, uh, senior folks understand this threat uh, has, has been there for, for a long time. And the question is really, um, uh, you know, have we already been infiltrated and, you know, can we find it? Right. I think it makes it even more important to consider uh, threat hunting, you know, for your environment to to understand that you've probably been breached already. Now, where is it? Go find it. Right. What's the hypothesis for um, how it might have happened and then test those hypotheses. Right. Those um, hunting I, models are so critical. I mean, you know, I, I am interested, though, you know, look, as we've we've onboarded, you know, lots of new kind of tier one kind of SOC analysts over the last few years. And man, honestly, unless you've experienced, you know, kind of the direct, you know, impact or you've had, you know, unique visibility because you're in the government or support of the DOD or whatever, we're fighting the nation state actor. It's a bit tough for the new, you know, kind of folks coming out of school tier ones to fully understand like the fight that they're walking into uh, with these really, you know, sophisticated and creative adversaries that have nothing but time, you know, how are you seeing um, kind of senior analysts kind of help get that message across to the younger analysts that are coming into the game now? Yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? It's like we take the junior people and then we say, okay, you know, the, (laughs) The, the fate of the company is on your shoulders, right? You have to be the one to find the, right. uh, the bad guy, right? Um, no, no pressure, right? You're, you're fine. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah, just you're fully equipped. Yeah, you're fully equipped to do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I, what you're talking about there, what you're asking about is, I, I think, common practice in a, in a SOC, you know, especially a, a larger SOC in, a, in an enterprise level where you've got perhaps, you know, dozens of analysts is really to have this mentor kind of relationship between the senior guys and the junior guys. There's a lot of um, uh, quote unquote on the job training. I think that's happening, right? You put uh, a tiered approach in your SOC, right? Your level one, level two, level three, typically that's based on experience levels, Right. So you, you kind of give that level one a smaller set of responsibilities. Hey, just look out for these kinds of things and then escalate them up. And then, you know, we'll, we'll discuss it. We'll work through it. I think there's a lot of that kind of thing that's going to um, give those level one analysts a sense of, okay, there's other people here that have my back. It's, it's not just me, right? Um, but since they've been around for so long, you know, what they're going to do is work with those level one analysts to, to really teach them the things to be looking for, the things that m- might either, you know, look odd, um, what does your gut instinct tell you, uh, help them to kind of connect to that, um, that, you know, that, that intuition that hopefully they have um, at that point where they're starting to build, right? And so I, I think that those, the mentors actually play a very important role in this because it, it really is, I mean, as much as we're automating and automation is a huge uh, part of how we're going to solve this problem, it's still very much a people business, right? There's still people are 
are, are, are the, you know, the ones that we're going to rely on to really uh, pull this together for us from a security perspective. Yeah. And it's interesting that, you know, the, the seniors, you know, that are in that, in the game that are mentoring the, you know, new folks, they're, they love being able to do it because mostly, most likely they were, you know, mentored also, but there is like, you know, the culture has to be right. Right. Like the, 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 the new person coming onto the team has to be coachable and willing to want to take that advice. Because I also find that we put so much pressure on the senior folks that if they feel like they're wasting their time, they also like that, that knowledge transfer or that transition or that mentorship will not be successful. So do you have any advice for new people coming into a sock um, that are you know going to have a mentor that maybe have never been mentored before. Like, what what would be your advice to someone coming in brand new? Yeah, that's um, it's a great question. I, I I kind of think of it in two ways. Number one is the people who are bringing the new analysts in, they should really be looking for certain attributes of the, you know, of this you know, this new hire, right. They're going to bring in, do they have a sense of, you know, curiosity? Do they seem to have that natural uh, problem solving kind of, uh, you know, the way they think about things, right. Does that seem to come naturally to them? You, know, you really want to focus on trying to get people that, that bring that skill set just naturally, natively, outside of security, right? It doesn't have to be all about security, um, you know, for sure. I, I think from the, the analyst side, you really have to be willing to learn. And I think about, um, you know, my own career. I've been doing information security for literally 20 years. It's over 20 years now. And I started as a practitioner and I, you know, I'll just quick story is I got a gig that I was completely unqualified for, but they needed someone, you know, to do information assurance, which is what the DOD at that time, uh, it's what they call information security, right? And I said, okay, yeah, but I, I know nothing about this. <laughs> Why am I going to be a good candidate here? And they said, no, 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 Chris, we, we, we see in your, in the way that you think about things, you're going to pick this up really fast. I, I think you're going to, you know, you're going to do well. For me, I hated having a job where I didn't know what I was doing, right? And yeah. so the resources are out there, right? I mean, I got sent to SANS course, uh, SANS courses over and over, right? And I, I took advantage of those opportunities. But even 20 years ago, so much of this information was available to you. Uh, a lot of it was in books, even. If, <laughs> if you could think about that, I mean, literally hacking exposed, right? I learned a lot about hacking um, from hacking exposed in a book, right? Sitting on your desk. Um, but there's a ton of resources out there, uh, and many which are free. Uh, if you have, if people can send you to SANS courses, that's great. But, um, you know, look, look at whatever opportunities you have and then go for it. You know, I set up labs in my basement. I had friends that would give me computer parts and different systems that they weren't using anymore. And I could set it up, set up a web server, learn how to hack your own web server so you can learn these techniques. Um, this is what advice I would give to any, you know, somebody who wants to get into it is it's all about learning. You have to be willing to do that. And, you know, for me, it was an imperative because it's like, if I'm going to be good at this job, you know, I have to get on this like right now. But as it turned out, I enjoyed it. That's how I knew I'd found the right thing. I felt really lucky. It's like, this stuff is great. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. And of course that just fuels it, right? You don't even have to be told to do it anymore. You're just, you know, you want to get in there and get your hands dirty. Yeah, no, great advice, man. So look, the investment in the sock space has been, you know, tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can sink a ton of cash into socks. Um, you know, how are companies feeling about their investment and how are they measuring success of that investment? Yeah, it's, we, we've been talking to customers. I mean, we talk to customers all the time, of course, but um, we did a study this year with Poneman, Larry Poneman, you know, the Institute about, you know, this exact question. And in general, 
people believe that their socks are more important than ever. And of course, you know, you think about that state sponsored attack and how, yeah, how high the stakes are. Right. But they're also reporting that ROI is low or lower. And it's not a surprise um, because the, you know, socks are, there's a lot of chaos in a sock and, um, you know, trying to make sense of all of it is, is just definitely a difficult, it's a difficult thing for, you know, for organizations to, to get good at. Um, so the ROI is, is really, it seems to be dropping in, in how people think about it. And then of course there's this, um, you know, some organizations are going to choose the MSSP route, right. Which is, it's a good approach. Uh, if you, you know, really can look yourself in the eye and say, okay, can I do this internally? Do I have the budget? Do I have the, the buy-in from the organization to build this kind of capability and run it? Um, or is this better suited for me to, to outsource it? And we see the same thing. We see spend going up uh, with MSSPs as a way to, um, it's essentially labor pooling is how we think about it, right? It's an MSSP provides, you know, skilled, analysts and sort of this labor pool kind of model. If there's a shortage of workers out there, well, you know, the MSSPs have them, you can rely on them. There's definitely mixed results on how people feel about the effectiveness of their MSSPs. And I've seen a lot of examples where there's hybrid models, right? Where they leverage the outsourcer as well as, um, you know, do things internally. I, I think that these socks really have to focus in on what is working and in there, you know, from a tool perspective, from a people perspective, and, you know, really decide is, you know, <laughs> if it's not working, you know, move on. We, there's, I love the concept of, of failing fast, right? It's okay to fail, but just do it fast so we can, you know, move along and, and try something else. Um, there's new tools that are coming out all the time we're all grasping for them. I know organizations are. Why is that? Well, because the problem is still there. It's not getting any better, quite frankly. So people are, you know, keep looking for those new tools. And it just takes, um, you know, again, you need that realistic view. Okay, if I adopt this new tool, am I going to be able to deploy it? Am I going to get the value out of it? And I could give you some examples where that's that hasn't been the case. <laughs> are you seeing any shift to like, data lakes, you know, or, go, you know, kind of the, you know, empowering the analysts to do their own research, right? So like getting past the seam and kind of saying, all right, look, let me collect every possible thing I can collect in a cost-effective way from a log perspective, and then throw some analytics on top of it and let my people just bang away at it. Like, are you seeing a shift back to that model or are you still seeing the seam investment you know, kind of continue? This is a great question. It's, and there's a lot of depth really to, to unpack that and, and what we're seeing right now. So I'll hit on a few of the, I think, what are the main points around this? Um, I guess first, SIM has been so hard to deploy for a lot of organizations that and the value has not been as, as high as it really should be or as people perceive it that they should, should get. So they're looking at alternatives, right? So the complexity of SIM is leaning people to towards alternatives. The other thing is the cost. And not to talk about any specific SIM vendor, but the SIM vendors, you know, the, the price is high. And when you have uh, models, pricing models based on volume, Large enterprises, you know, their SIM bills are just skyrocketing. Yeah. And again, you know, the, you, like I said before, the ROI is going down, right? You're like, okay, well, you know, if the bill was going up, but we were doing better, maybe it's justified. But when that's not the outcome, it starts making you think like, okay, is there a different way to do this? So we are seeing people moving towards a data lake kind of strategy. I think it's money saving is probably the number one reason. Um, I think as, as you said as well, it's, it is giving uh, people and analysts an opportunity to hunt through their data, to search it in a 
kind of more effective or, or fast way, you know, I, I, I suppose is, is like what's some of the benefits of having those data lakes, but the real, the real story, and this is where, you know, again, unpacking this is it's, it's, it's really interesting is that should you be collecting all those logs? Like for the last 20 years, we've always had this, you know, idea that collect every log, make sure you have it all. It's a full-time job for lots of people, right? Mm -hmm. We're spending all this time and energy and collecting all of these logs. What value is it really bringing? A lot of times when you talk to customers, you know, just straight, you know, straight up, you know, just (laughs) the management has left the room and you ask them, what are you doing with these logs? The answer is, well, just in case, right? We have them just in case. It's like, well, just in case of what? And it's like, well, okay, if we had a breach and then we want to go and investigate, you can go and, you know, dig through all of these logs. So if we know that our problem in the industry is too much data, our strategy for, you know, log collection and management is going exactly against that problem or it's creating the problem, right? We're, we're collecting everything and saying, okay, we, we got to have all this data. And then we're literally in the same breath saying, our biggest problem is we have too much data, right? So organizations really need to, I think it's really breaking status quo. It's breaking status quo in a way of saying the data that we need, that we use, like let's think about our SOC in the last day, week, month. What data did we use? What data actually led to finding a real compromise in our environment or suspicious activity that really warranted a follow-up and, and things like, like that. And that data is the stuff that you should be collecting, right? And that you should be focused on. And then everything that you're not using, you've got to think twice about that. Is it really important to collect? Um, and maybe, maybe just don't do it and see what happens. I think organizations are, you know, they're worried about that. Yeah. And of course, you know, there's, there's things like compliance and your, your compliance requirements, you know, will require you to get to store that data, but it doesn't mean you have to be able to report on it or search on it, right. And have good ways of accessing it. You just need to collect it. So don't put the energy in making, you know, a, a data really accessible with stuff that you're never going to use. And so that's, that's some of the, the thoughts around all that. Yeah. And no, I appreciate the insight. So, so I gotta ask you, man. So, with with, with the pandemic, you know, <clears throat> has has it changed the way socks operate? And, you know, are you seeing a shift at all to virtual socks? So, there has been a temporary shift to virtual socks. Absolutely. Um, all my customers, um, they've all gone virtual. They're all at home, running their sock. Um, <laughs> from their home offices, right? Yep. And it's, it's a, I don't know, it introduces a whole new set of challenges. I don't think it's going to persist. I say temporary because it's just not the optimal way to do it. We talked earlier uh, about mentoring, right? Having senior and junior SOC analysts together in the same room. Uh, OJT, right? On the job training that's happening, you know, a lot of times when you find something that looks to be suspicious, looks like it needs more investigation, it really warrants a conversation between, you know, like the SOC level one and the SOC level two or the incident response team. And those things are facilitated very quickly and effectively in a physical shared space or shared physical space. And um, that is taken away when everybody is virtual. I know that we've got Zoom and other collaborative tools for remote uh, communications that definitely play a part in helping the SOC uh, continue on the mission, even though they're remote, but definitely everything is a lot slower. It's just not going to have the same effectiveness as in person. So I do believe that the virtual SOC is not a thing. Um, It's everybody's going to return back to their physical SOCs once it's, once we're allowed to do that, right? Once the pandemic has, you know, kind of, we've passed the, the, the point where everybody's vaccinated and, 
you know, we can return back to the office. During this temporary time, are you seeing companies kind of open up their hiring to remote SOC analysts, like while this is going on? Or are you still seeing them with a kind of location strategy based around where their SOC is physically located? I'm still seeing the location-based strategy right now. Um, I would imagine, but this is, I'm really honestly just guessing at this point that with you're having trouble finding recruiting people in your local area, maybe now you're more open to the remote worker because we've tried the model. It's everybody's a lot more used to it. It works okay for the stock. It's not great, but it is possible. If you can't find the employees locally at all, then certainly trying the remote strategy is, you know, it's, it's worthwhile. Right. Um, but I, I'm not seeing a, a major push towards that at, at this time, you know, right now. So, so what are the three things organizations can do right now to improve the effectiveness of their SOC? You know, I, I think that the first one really is figuring out how to reduce false positives. This is the biggest problem I think that SOCs are faced with. If you only had to look at a couple of things a day and investigate those and you know, make your decision, is this an intrusion? Is this a compromise? Is this suspicious activity that I need to follow up on? Um, you know, the job would be easy. The problem is, is false positives, right? There's just way, way too many. Getting technology in place that automates is really the key to solving your false positive problem. You know, the logs are going to continue to be generated. All the security products out there, there's lots of great security tools that create alerts for people to look at, but the alerts are not, there's not enough fidelity in them, right? There's just too many false positives. So we need to layer additional technology on top of that that adds additional logic layers or reasoning layers that will help to eliminate the false positives in an automated fashion, right? We need to be able to really eliminate, well, as, you know, just as much as possible. And the way that we're going to do that is, is through automation. It, like this is a perfect problem for a computer, right? It's a terrible problem for humans. Humans are terrible at looking through lots and lots of stuff to try to find the needle in the haystack. This is exactly what computers are built for. But we need to have the right kind of models uh, that you know, have the logic in them that truly check the things that you know, a human would, that are able to think like a human would think. And this is where you know, we're gonna see a lot of advances in artificial intelligence, machine learning type approaches um, because so far the methods to, to solve this problem have not, um, you know, they, they haven't come to bear for us. Uh, so, you know, these are the, the new approaches that we're seeing. And you know, I think they're going to have just a huge, huge uh, uh, change or, uh, you know, effect inside the SOC. Um, because as we continue to automate in a better way, the initial uh, triage of all the security alerts and be able to tie in the context um, of, of the environment which is, you know, something that sometimes is overlooked is you really need to know the context. Um, you know, simple example is like just account logins, right? You know, we talk about the impossible login, right? That's, that's a very popular use case in the stock, right? You see somebody log in from a VPN uh, in China, uh, for example, and at the same time, you know, the employee is in the U.S. right now. So that would be an example of an impossible login. You know, it's something that is really a context-based use case. So being able to tie context into, you know, with your security alerts is, you know, stitching together those relationships and then having this logic layer on top of it that says, okay, this actually is suspicious. You know, that's, that's what it's all about. Um, so anyway, so that... <laughs> Long answer, but that's your number one is autom you know, automation in order to reduce false positives. The other thing, as I said uh, earlier, was about the SaaS products. I think adopting more and more uh, SaaS products is going to be helpful to organizations because it's going to reduce their security engineering burden 
They're going to spend less and less hours trying to maintain and operate those tools. And that's time that's going to be given back to the SOC to do more important things, right? To be able to uh, do more time investigating, uh, more time doing, uh, you know, threat hunting and things that provide a higher value to the SOC than, you know, just looking at uh, consoles all day, which doesn't seem to be, you know, very helpful. Uh, I, I think the, the final thing is really going to be figuring out employee retention strategies, right, is how to keep your employees engaged. I think there's some overlap in how, how this works, obviously, is if you can free them up to do the great work and stop them from doing the mundane tasks, the things that are, um, you know, not particularly exciting for humans to do, you definitely have an opportunity to retain them. Um, this is something that we really need to focus on. You said it earlier about building the culture. You know, you want it to be a fun culture. You want it to be one that's really rewarded uh, for showing curiosity and creativity and how you're, you know, conducting yourself as an analyst and really digging through um, the, you know, the company's, you know, again, all this data to figure out what's going on. Uh, it should be rewarded and we should be giving uh, our, our employees a chance to, to explore these things and keep their jobs interesting. Uh, if we can retain those employees, the SOC is going to be so much more effective. This is one of the biggest problems with SOCs and why I'm always talking about, you know, automation being really important, especially in that SOC level one position. If we're going to keep losing SOC level one analysts um, because we have them doing triage all day, well, let's fix the triage problem, right? And so if we could fix that, then we're not going to lose these employees. And, you know, they, the, the tribal knowledge, right, that we refer to it, right, of inside this organization, and uh, it's, you just can't replicate that. And all that knowledge typically goes out the door when they do. Yeah, it's uh, fascinating too, because like, you know, I, I do think there's a culture, we talk culture around like tiers. It's almost like, you know, I work, you know, it's shift work, right? It sometimes yeah. also. And that almost breeds the, well, my shift is over, so I go home. As opposed to, well, I'm really digging into something, I'm investigating, and I'm going to keep, you know, cranking away at this, even though my, you know, kind of, you know, shift is over. Uh, I, I mean, I remember when I was, you know, in the Secret Service, right, you're working on an investigation, you can work on it all day and night and keep rolling, right? Because you're just so invested in the investigation you're involved in. And I feel like in the sock, it doesn't have that same mentality where it's like the bell rings, you know, my, my shift is over, uh, I leave, right? And, you know, I was always looking for those analysts that were like, you know, I'm going to stay and crank away at this for a little longer. Like, that's the stuff. I was always looking for that, you know, like, how do we get out of that mentality of, you know, uh, my shift is over and I pass it on to the next shift and um, I leave, like, I'd love to be able to take, you know, find those folks that are just cranking away on things that they're really curious about, you know, but not overburden them with like, they're working too many hours too. Right. But what's your take on kind of the culture around shift work and that mentality of getting into the, like the rut of just, you know, I work nine to five, I work, you know, uh, in the shift hours, right? Like how do you break that cycle? Yeah, I, I don't know. It's a, Honestly, it's a tough question. It's, it, it's when, when you find someone that's, that wants to stick around, right? Like you're suggesting there, keep those people, right? Don't let them go at whatever it takes. Don't burn them out, right? Think about ways of not burning your analysts out. And so, you know, it, for example, when they are on a shift, what we, we always want to do is have, have an analyst, you know, not be on the console any more than, you know, one hour in, in a row, right? It's like after an hour, take a break and give them other tasks to do, right? Really change the routine of that day. Don't let them sit in the console. There, there's different studies that say, you know, after a certain amount of time, some as early as 20 minutes uh, up to, you know, one hour, people just literally stop being able to really think anymore on the console. So you got to get them off the console, rotated out, right? So yeah. 
making sure that shift when they're there is actually dynamic, I think is one of those keys to ensuring that we don't burn them out, that they're, that they're going to stick around. They'll be more excited, like give them one of the cool jobs to do too, right? Like after they do get off the console, give them the task of, you know, as I was saying earlier that, okay, we've been compromised now go find it. How, How do you think that would be done? Now, all of a sudden their head is just completely in a different mental space. They're thinking about, you know, from a perspective as the attacker instead of the defender. And that is really, it's exciting for people, I, I think. I mean, you got to like this, this business too, right? Right. Um, which is another you know, point. I think that if you could just recognize that this person is not fitting culturally, it, 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 sorry, just to back up a second. I, over the last 20 years, one of the things that I've loved about the security industry is that we tend to all have a certain set of sort of ethics principles that things we're interested in, you can really see it in the security industry. Like there's lots of people who have careers in around security, but the people that are truly hardcore security folks, they all kind of have these similar attributes and it is things like curiosity, right? They want to understand how things work. They get excited when they hear about how a new vulnerability can be exploited, but you know, how to, how to protect the organization. And look, we found an example, but we blocked it, right? It's very empowering to, to have those kinds of those feelings. So you're looking for those employees. And when you don't have that employee, figure out how to exit them quickly. You know, I, I don't want to be too harsh about it, but they're never going to be happy. They're never going to be doing a good job, really. They're going to be punching that clock like you're talking about. And it might just simply because they don't have that real, that security guy ethic, right? Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Well, cool, man. All right, folks, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors, but don't go away. We'll be right back with more from Chief Customer Officer of Respond Software, Mr. Chris Triolo. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 hacker innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Redis. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Redis. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with Chief Customer Officer of Response Software, Mr. Chris Triolo. Chris, you and I were chatting at the break around storytelling and you were ahead in the last segment. And, you know, look, socks are so, analysts are so head down, um, engaged in dealing with the alerts and the false positive rates and the threats, et cetera. And, you know, look, they really need evangelists to tell their story, which is typically the CISO, right? Let's be honest, right? It's just typically the CISO. Um, but what info do you feel socks need to produce to empower CISOs to tell their stories? Yeah, the, the CISO really, their main focus for an organization is risk, right? And managing risk for the organization. And so the, the SOC has to provide that data to the CISO of, you know, what, what's the most uh, important a risk that this organization is facing right now and how are we standing up to that? What, what's happened with COVID and the pandemic and uh, many organizations sending everybody home and working remotely, uh, we've now created this really big exposure for organizations. They've got the remote worker, right? What do those home networks look like, right? I mean, my guess is they're Swiss cheese, right? So they've, they've got this new... Uh, risk to the organization. And so the, you know, the SOC has got to be able to grapple with that pretty quickly, but then explain uh, by way of data to the CISO how, how we're managing that, right? What, what problems are we seeing? In other words, uh, how many compromises are we seeing? Are we seeing a lot of uh, malware showing up on people's, you know, workstations? Are we having erroneous, you know, VPN kind of connections, you know, where do we see the issues happening? And then getting that information to the CISO, who, as you said, they're going to act, you know, as that communicator to the broader organization. Um, And maybe that's uh, upwards to the executive team, to the board, um, or maybe it's outwards into the entire organization, right? In order to, um, for example, to get all the employees behind this notion that, hey, you know, working from home can actually be very risky to our company. And here's the things we really want you to look out for. And in doing that could actually reduce the overall risk of the organization uh, simply by, uh, ed- you know, educating and making uh, remote employees aware. Some of these folks have never worked from home, right? I, you know, it's, it's funny, I, I've been doing work from home for almost my whole career. And to me, it just comes second nature. But um, a lot of other people, they've they've never even had a laptop. They were just issuing laptops and VPNs. And all this was happening in a very rushed fashion uh, back in March, right, when the pandemic hit. Um, And now all of a sudden, you've got SOC teams that have to just change the way they're thinking completely. Like, for example, some of the traditional monitoring uh, you know, sensors, security sensors that we have in place are irrelevant now, right? right? You know, intrusion detection sensors, for example, um, you know, the ones that are uh, watching sort of what's happening inside the corporate network uh, and traffic leaving the organization. Now that you have all these remote workers, right? They're not taking the same communication paths anymore. So those sensors are seeing a lot less activity, right? So, all right. So, I mean, are you going to keep looking at IDS? I mean, yes, you have to, uh, but it's definitely going to have a sort of degraded or a, an, a less relevant view to the overall risk posture. Now you have to start looking at 
things like VPN logs because all your, your workers are now home. And that's the kind of data or information that, that CISOs need. And that really connects, I think, the security, what's happening you know, sort of inside that sock with all these heads down analysts to you know, the real value that they're providing is being able to tell that story of how you're addressing the, the, latest, the latest and greatest risks. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate that and, you know, the thought process there. So, so what are the, let's, we're moving into 21, right? End of year. What are the, the investments you're seeing be made in the SOC by companies uh, going into next year? Yeah, so now that we've moved past, you know, SIM, uh, SIM was a major investment for SOCs for years and years and years. And pretty much today, everybody's got some version of a SIM that's out there. So I don't really expect more there. Um, what I do see is, is the SOAR products, for example, and SOAR is not new either. I mean, SOAR has been kind of the hot new thing for the last two to three years, uh, security orchestration automation response tools. And what those are really meant to do is automate more of the SOX job in order to, again, get them out of those sort of mundane tasks and improve um, the effectiveness of the SOC. Uh, the problem with the SOAR tools is, you know, I like to refer to them as sort of this, uh, this dream building approach, right? When you buy a SOAR, you think that you're going to create all these amazing playbooks that are going to automate every step of the SOC. And hey, once it's built, you could just turn it on and step back and put your feet up on the desk. It's not like that at all. What ends up happening in most organizations, well, you know, so the, the ones that I've had exposure to is they'll end up creating one or two, maybe three really great playbooks um, that automate some specific task that's a big burden on the SOC, like maybe m managing the phishing inbox, right? It's right. a task for SOCs that, you know, kind of this mundane thing, but important because it, phishing is, you know, one of the number one ways that organizations are getting compromised, <clears throat> but can you automate that? And yes, okay, a SOAR tool helps you automate that. Everybody's super excited because that use case is one and done, um, but now what else? And we don't really see the what else, either because of people's lack of time, lack of creativity, the difficulty in building um, you know, these playbooks. So while I think SOAR has done you know, really well in the last couple of years for 2021, I really feel like you're still going to see some of that um, because people are looking for automation, but it's not going to be as prevalent. The areas that I think are going to grow fast are uh, XDR, uh, extended detection and response technologies. I've been talking about them uh, during our, our discussion uh, that, again, finding the relationships between the data in order to do a better job at finding the real attacks and reducing the false positives validation or attack simulation tools. Um, there's, you know, this idea that if, I, of course, if I could test whether or not my controls are working and whether or not they can, uh, you know, prevent a, a, a particular attack, it's going to give me a much better idea of where my exposures are. And, you know, because the idea of finding vulnerabilities in, in, you know, doing vulnerability scanning, finding vulnerabilities, very typical, right? Uh, activity in the SOC for the last 20 years. Um, it's, that's fine, but, uh, you know, maybe the vulnerability exists, but, you know, is there a working exploit? Are hackers actually going after that vulnerability? Is that, does it have to be internet facing? And since you have that vulnerability, but it's inside your organization, it's really not a concern, right? It kind of makes the vulnerability thing not as important. What's more important is the is validating whether those security controls that you have in place are gonna work for you. So I think um, you know, these tools are gonna be a lot more, uh, uh, it's gonna get a lot more focus in 2021. And then deception, deception tools are the other kind of new tools. I'm starting to see some organizations adopt these tools that are really geared towards creating exciting targets for hackers to you know, divert their attention to that instead of the real important assets. And then of course, while they're spending time 
uh, going after these, these, you know, they, these honey pots or, or whatever, you know, whatever you want to call them, we could actually watch what they're doing, learn their techniques, um, you know, see how they're moving through the infrastructure. Uh, these are, you know, definitely advanced capabilities, but as socks are trying to do more, try to be more effective, I think, you know, that's where they start to focus in these, in these new areas. Well, Chris, I really appreciate your insight, man, and for you coming on the show. Absolutely. It's fun talking to you. Yeah, buddy. So we'll, we'll, do, we'll do it again. Congrats again on the FireEye acquisition, you know, getting acquired and uh, looking forward to hearing how that shakes out for you guys. All right. All right. Thanks so much. Yeah, buddy. All right, folks, time for us to bounce up on out of here. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Tax Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.